0: We have to kind of do something in this moment because this is unfortunately where we are, where we have large corporations and hedge funds that have strangled our 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 institutions, the institutions that journalists have really strived to work for, with most of us not even getting raises over over decades. Mm. Um, uh, continuing doing the work. What we also need to work on, and that's that's part of the thing that we're doing now, is is looking ahead. How can we actually see the future and build a world where We can inspire and build better, more accountable organizations back to the communities rather than shareholders or investment bank funds uh, based in the Cayman Islands. We have to do that work, too. So we're doing that as well. But for the moment, it's better not to burn it all down because that could have devastating consequences, especially in an election year.
1: Hi, this is David Goodfriend, and you're listening to the Good Friend Group podcast. President Harry Truman used to say, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. But in this case, if you want a good friend in Washington, you've come to the right place. I talk to people from technology, telecommunications, and media. These are my good friends, and now they're here to talk to you. On this Labor Day edition of the Good Friend Group podcast, I speak with my friend, And I'm proud to say our client here at the Good Friend Group, John Schlois, president of the News Guild, the labor union that represents journalists across the country. We'll talk about the crisis facing journalism today. The numbers are staggering. Journalists being laid off by the thousands and the threat that this poses to our democracy. We'll talk about some of the public policy options that are out there to help save journalism. You're going to want to listen to this one. Hey, this is John. Hey, John. Thanks for joining the Good Friend Group podcast. How you doing? I'm doing well. Doing all right. How, how are We're, you doing? Oh, well, I'm I'm holding my breath every day as I read polls and try not to pay attention to them all at the same time. <laughs> How does one
0: get by doing that and still maintain their sanity, David?
1: Um, if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm really not all that sane. <laughs> so that's the answer to your question. Listen, we're, we're going to be playing this on Labor Day. So I'm going to wish you happy Labor Day. Awesome. And I have to start off by asking you this, John. Um, you're the new president of the News Guild, the labor union that represents journalists all over the country. And you have said in written and oral statements that journalism is facing an extinction level event right now in the form of reporters being laid off. Can you just give us a sense of just how bad it is for journalism, for journalists, so we get a sense of what the real problem is right now?
0: Yeah, it's 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 terrible. It's... Um we've had since the start, even before the pandemic started, um, the economics of maintaining local news have not been the best. Um, We've had private equity and particularly hedge funds like Alden Global Capital sweep in uh, to newsrooms and gobble them up, places like the San Jose Mercury News, the St. Paul Pioneer Press, uh, the Denver Post, uh, places where we represent members and have for decades. And um, these hedge funds really only exists to squeeze as much money as they can. So they get rid of the real estate, they get rid of the assets, and they get rid of the people. And they, they lay people off at rates faster than the general decline in the industry. So we've had a lot of really, really bad actors, that and sort of chain consolidation, um, where you know you have a company like Gannett gobble up more and more newspapers by merging with Gatehouse. And then you know uh, to do that merger takes on an 11.5%. Uh, Uh, Interest alone that they have to pay back Uh, and it's it's just it's bad business decisions and that's hurt local communities and so since the pandemic began we've seen um, Countless members be laid off Newspapers have closed local newspapers across the country Uh, and we've seen layoffs or buyouts uh, affecting more than 11,000 journalists in this country and It's a real shame. I grew up in in rural Arkansas uh, in a, a town called Harmony Grove, which you can't even really find on a map. And uh, I remember at my grandmother's house in the morning getting uh, the morning paper, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and then in the afternoon getting the afternoon paper, the local paper, the Camden News. And, you know, it, it doesn't make sense for, for that printed model to exist uh, everywhere when we've all got phones and uh, this handy-dandy thing called the internet. But, uh, but the access to local information is critical it gives us an insight into how our communities are holding up in the middle of a crisis and how accountable um, local officials are, uh, whether it's policing or it's uh, government reform. And when we lose those outlets, what we see is corruption goes up, partisanship goes up, um, and uh, and taxes go up.
1: So you're saying, in essence, that the local journalist is uh, is in danger, that we're losing a lot of the local journalists covering local news in particularly smaller communities um and that resonates with me i think i've told you this before john my stepdad was the editor of a rural weekly paper in wisconsin uh spring green wisconsin where frank lloyd wright built his first school and that paper uh has gone away as a source of news so Is this really a rural small town problem because i mean i look at the new york times i'm an avid reader and consumer of all things new york times i i even use the new york times font on all my documents i'm just a new (laughs) york times i'm a new york times addict that company seems to be doing extremely well its stock is at an all-time high it seems to have mastered the digital platforms and transitioning from printed to digital so are we really talking about a small paper, small town, small locality issue or problem or does this cut across all sizes of communities?
0: Well, we definitely know yeah that the New York Times and we represent the workers there too is is doing much better. We have seen layoffs there, you know, they they've closed down, you know, events were sort of like an area that newsrooms were were getting into, having large events and so of course with the pandemic that's difficult. So they've laid off people there, they've laid off Advertising staff, too, because the advertising revenues continue to plummet everywhere, including Mm. at the New York Mm. Times. Now, the benefit for the New York Times is the audience is, you know, uh, is global potentially, right? So they can build up a really large subscription base. And there's actually a lot of beauty to it because when you're a news organization and your biggest source of revenue is coming from your subscribers, then the product has to be really geared and focused to subscribers you know, the economics of, you know, large advertisers calling the shots are providing more, uh, you know, potential, um, you know, source of like, you know, uh, focus in terms of whatever their desires are, because they're bringing in most of the money kind of shifts over back to the individual subscribers, which makes it, I think more democratic, but you're right because, you know, just this morning I called, um, our folks in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which, uh, yes you know, has been dealing with, um, protests and 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 killings by militia groups and I was calling to check in on the workers because you know I'm deeply concerned about this, their mental health. I mean we we don't these jobs are not great. <laughs> Reporting jobs are like really difficult. People slam doors in your face. The pay is garbage. It's mm-hmm. not the spectacle you see on uh, on cable news. It's it's really difficult it requires a lot of work. I mean, you know, a photographer in Kenosha was up until about 3am posting photos from the protests, uh, inhaling, you know, ridiculous amounts of tear gas to bring images um, uh, to people directly. So we have to make sure that we have local news, because that's where the rest of America is. I mean, people are definitely in New York, and people are subscribing to the New York Times, whether they're in New York or not. But to know what the local stories are, the, the, the violence, the potential, the, the high school sports of it, that's all extremely local.
1: Agreed. And you're from Arkansas. I'm from Wisconsin. I, I definitely think those are uh, you and I probably grew up with that sense. But we also you and I understand changes in technology and business models and everything else. Uh, you take an example like The New York Times or Bloomberg News or for that matter, even Politico they do seem to be changing the business model. How do you answer people who say, look, John, it's not that news is going extinct, it's that printing it on paper as a newspaper is just an outdated business model and news organizations have to improve their business models in order to save journalism. D- do you buy that or do you think, going back to your, your private equity and hedge fund example, that, that we're, we're facing economic structures that are just not conducive to news?
0: Well, I think those economic structures and hedge funds really don't have an understanding of what it is to produce news. You know, I, I could go back to if we're, you know, we're going to talk about medium and, and I agree. I think that, you know, printed newspapers are not going to be around forever. I mean, I, before I took on this role, I was a data reporter and and taught computer programming uh, to journalism students because I, you know, desperately believe that we have to find innovative ways to tell new stories in new ways. And, you know, uh, thousands of years ago, humans were still providing news news stories, uh, but they were doing it uh, with rudimentary forms of spoken word um, language. And they were doing it by painting on the walls in caves in France. Um, You know, the medium is going to constantly change. So, you know, now the medium could be Twitter threads, could be podcasts, could be uh, digital news apps, breaking news alerts, uh, uh, Instagram stories. It could be virtual reality. It could be whatever. We, we, we are always going to have to adapt to that, and we will. But the important thing is that we see for our democracy that news is essential
1: to actually running a democracy so that people can be informed. Okay, let's talk about that for a second. News is essential to running a democracy. Uh, you and I, in our, in our advocacy together, have pointed out to policymakers that News is not your typical business because the Constitution, the First Amendment actually singles it out as having uh, uh, certain rights. The First Amendment was designed in large part, at least uh, the, the words free press were aimed at journalism. We want to make sure that there is a free press in this country that is uh, independent of government activity. And there is an irony, isn't there, in saying, we want a free press that is uh, not hindered by government, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, saying, hey, policymakers, hey, government, help us save the free press. How do you square that circle?
0: Well, you have to have the barriers and the firewalls there. Um, It's not a quid pro uh, quo relationship. This is very specifically uh, when the founding fathers sat down and created this country, they they knew that uh, information had to flow freely because... If people in this country were uninformed, they would not be able to make the decisions necessary to elect leaders at all levels of government, whether it's the local water board or the uh, the dog catcher, uh, all the way up to the, the highest office in the country. So, you know, they knew that it was important. So it's right up there on top. Uh, because. Right. It's it's the only way that we can have a free flow of ideas. And you know, those those guys, <laughs> they were all guys for the most part, right? Yeah. They they bickered on a lot of of their ideas. But that's that's what's healthy. And you need to be able to bicker about whether it's appropriate to, you know, approve uh the, the new garbage dump uh in this part of town or that part of town. You need to have that discussion and then you have to get it back to the people so that they're aware of what's happening at the local level.
1: So um Earlier, uh, an earlier episode of the Good Friend Group podcast, I had Senator Richard Blumenthal on to talk about policy ideas for helping to save local media. And I said to him that I thought it was that I felt uncomfortable with the idea of having the Trump administration spend government ad dollar money in a way to try to save journalism, because my opinion the Trump administration would immediately turn that into a quid pro quo, like what you just said. We're only gonna spend this money if you say nice things about us. And that, and that really troubled me. And Senator Blumenthal said, yes, that's something we really have to be sensitive to. You and I, on the other hand, have been working on promoting the idea of expanding eligibility for news organizations when it comes to the uh, Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, small business loans. Tell, tell us how that is better or, or at least palatable, uh, as a form of government subsidy to sustain journalism.
0: So yeah, if you know, we have a lot of rules in our newsrooms. I remember uh, once uh, I received uh, a bottle of champagne for some some story that I had written. Uh, and it was a thank you, um, and you know we usually have rules saying you know we can't accept gifts uh, ethically if they're over a certain amount. Now this was a cheaper bottle of champagne, so it actually qualified. <laughs> <laughs> good good but it's important right because you have to be able you know the, the quest for a story right is is trying to seek the truth and, and this is another beautiful thing about journalists anyone can be a journalist in this country right it's it's not something you have to be licensed to right uh, you can just start doing the work uh and and there's enough of us that are weird like yeah we want to do that work we want to tell the stories of our communities um and so yeah so one <laughs> pushing is not necessarily like a direct handout, but instead an expansion of a program that already exists and helps small businesses, the Paycheck Protection Program through the Small Business Administration. And so Mm Senate Bill 3718, which has wide support from the AFL-CIO, our union, our parent union, the CW, and uh, even folks in the industry like the News Media Alliance would expand eligibility so that money could be directed uh, as, as loans that could turn into grants in locations like like the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, or the Indy Star. Uh, places that are owned by large chains, uh, but really don't have that people who are working in, in the specific locality. Um, Kenosha News, for instance, would, would benefit directly from that. Uh, they're owned uh, by Lee Enterprises,
1: which is a large chain as well. How, how do you address the criticism though, including from some progressives, that this is a subsidy for big business, for big companies? And, and the, the Small Business Administration was set up to help small businesses. I mean, you and I have been actively lobbying on this, asking for an exception to that rule so that a big business that owns a local paper could still get the grant. H- how do you address that criticism, though, that, well, these are big enough companies to go get a, a loan uh, on Wall Street or get investors from Wall Street to do it? Why should they get a Small Business Administration loan?
0: We have to kind of do something in this moment because this is unfortunately where we are, where we have large corporations and hedge funds that have strangled our 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 institutions, the institutions that journalists have really strived to work for with most of us not even getting raises over over decades mm. um, uh, continuing doing the work. What we also need to work on and that's that's part of the thing that we 're doing now is is looking ahead. How can we actually see the future and build a world where We can inspire and build better, more accountable organizations back to the communities rather than shareholders or investment bank funds uh, based in the Cayman Islands. We have to do that work, too. So we're doing that as well. But for the moment, it's better not to burn it all down because that could
1: have devastating consequences,
0: especially in an election year.
1: I I think you have said this, and I'm just going to repeat it because I think it's such a good statement. Uh, You've said that some sort of temporary relief, like the PPP uh, eligibility change, would be like the ventilator to keep the patient alive. And the patient in this case is American journalism. We need to keep it alive. And then you would argue longer term, we should make some bigger structural policy changes. What are some of those changes? Because a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast are uh, working on Capitol Hill or work in think tanks or work in agencies or work in law firms. I, I think it would be interesting for, for them to hear what some of your bigger ideas are for how we could really improve the long-term sustainability of journalism in America.
0: So we have to get hedge funds out. Uh, hedge funds have no place in our free press. We have to get rid of them. And so there's, I think, potential creative solutions to, um, to, to, either tax them more aggressively or tax when they go, when they try to seek these ridiculously high profits um, or provide a tax on how far away potentially they are from the actual local news uh, location that they supposedly own and are supposed to care for. But we got to get them out, uh, so we're going to have to provide an incentive, essentially, to get the ransom uh, back from our baby. And and we're dealing, <laughs> to get our baby back, we have to provide that ransom. And we're dealing, unfortunately, with this very directly right now in Baltimore. Uh, the Baltimore Sun is a storied institution; uh, it's been around for uh, for a long time and is a critical source of news for for folks in Maryland. And we've got members that we represent there. And um, back in early part of this year, I took uh, a train up there before the pandemic really uh, uh, exploded, and met with the members at a a coffee shop in uh, downtown Baltimore, and we were brainstorming what we could do. And they said, you know, we have heard that there are locals who are interested in purchasing the Baltimore Sun. Now, the Baltimore Sun is owned by another large chain, Tribune Publishing. Tribune Publishing, unfortunately, has a board that's three of seven of those members are from Alden Global Capital, this extremely destructive hedge fund uh, that's been destroying news. And 33% of the shares are owned by Alden. but they were like, but we, and you know, they were saying this, that we think that there are locals who want to do it. It turns out, you know, and now it's a very public campaign. Yeah, these locals have tens of millions of dollars that they're ready to put down to purchase the Baltimore Sun wow. and turn it into a non-profit.
1: Wait, say that now, last part again. It, they would purchase it and turn it into
0: a non-profit. Right. Which which is kind of great, right? Because instead of extracting out the profits and then dropping them into you know investors' hands or dropping them into some other industry unrelated to news, everything would have to be essentially to be sustainable, and that you know the profits would have to be reinvested back into the organization. So, the nonprofit model for news, which you know is places like ProPublica, um, Chalkbeat, there are examples of it. The Texas uh, Tribune that that show that it can work, that it can be doable. And so that's what we'd want to do here, that we'd want to actually convert this out. But the, the challenge, we've got this, these willing buyers who aggressively want to buy the paper, right? Bring it into local hands, get it away from uh, Tribune and this hedge fund. But the challenge is getting the company to actually sell and they've been really resistant.
1: And what makes them resistant?
0: Well, everything is money to them. It's all about greed and how much money they can get. And if, you know, they feel like uh, they can get more money by uh, building essentially like a two or three year business plan where they cut costs as aggressively as possible. I mean, this is a company that has virtually no debt because Tribune Publishing uh, uh, sold off its flagship paper um, that I used to be part of the LA Times uh, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And you know, made $500 million from that sale. And so they were able to wipe out all of their debt. So they've got um, essentially no debt um, and they've got people who want to buy it. Um, but, you know, for whatever reason, uh, this hedge fund and the people who operate and run the company are are very resistant to it.
1: Look, I, I am a huge fan of nonprofits in our economy. Some of my friends listening are going to roll their eyes. I'm going to say it anyway. But, you know, my favorite team is the Green Bay Packers, the only fan owned Mm -hmm. nonprofit organization in all of professional sports with one of the winningest records in professional football history and apart. And from one of the smallest markets in the NFL. And that's those things are all related. I certainly think that having a nonprofit structure makes sense. But we're we're now in the realm of policy. And I'm just wondering, is it possible appropriate doable whatever to have a government action that helps to facilitate this transition of the baltimore sun from being part of a large for-profit conglomerate to being a locally owned nonprofit. what does what's the role of government going back to this question of public policy and government playing a role in journalism what's the role of government there
0: well, it's it's gotta be to make sure that um, there isn't interfering, anything interfering with with our press in a way that's actually destroying and undermining our doc- democracy. Mm. And here we have an example where a hedge fund is completely shown its colors here. It wants to it wants to extract as much money as it can out of here. Now, you know, uh, Senators Van Hollen and, and Cardin actually wrote a letter saying, you guys need to look at this at uh, Tribune Publishing. They need to look at this seriously and consider this. Um, so they have you know provided that pressure.
1: Um, these, are the, frankly, just, these are the two senators from Maryland, uh, Chris Van Hollen and, and Ben Carden. They sent that letter to the current uh, owners. They did uh,
0: uh, a few months ago. And, you know, I think, I think we need to have serious investigation into Alden Global Capital because its consequences um, and what it's done have devastating impact on our democracy. And there's actually another hedge fund uh, that just approved and just won uh, the, the bankruptcy uh, bidding process for McClatchy. Now, McClatchy is another large newspaper chain. Uh, the largest of it which we represent members at is um, well, places like the Sacramento Bee, the Fresno Bee, the Modesto uh, Bee, and the Miami Herald, uh, including the Idaho Statesman, which, you know, <laughs> usually you don't think about too much uh, union activity up in I- Idaho, but uh, we definitely have members up there in, in Montana and Wyoming. And Chatham Asset Management, is another hedge fund that uh, has been circling and eyeing that. And they've done extreme destruction uh, north of the border in Canada with a company they own called Post Media, where they've followed a similar playbook, where they just cut to the bone as much as they can to keep profit levels high uh, for investors.
1: Okay, so in the time we have left, I want to talk with you about a couple of other policy proposals that are out there. There's a proposal to create something akin to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. It would provide subsidies to news organizations. And then there's another idea of creating a tax or a fee on digital advertising transactions that would be put in a fund to sustain journalism under the theory that digital advertising has shifted funds away from newspapers. So are those salient ideas? Are those examples of public policy that could work to sustain journalism?
0: Yeah, because I think the economics, going back to the question of whether a local news organization can cut it uh, in the same way that the New York Times can, you definitely have to innovate. You definitely have to be creative. Uh, And that's happening in some localities. But the economics aren't going to make sense in every single location, especially ones uh, where there's a higher poverty rate. Um, Mm. And so we need to find other ways to support that. And it happens. I mean, you know, it happens in Canada, (laughs) it happens in the United Kingdom, where there is government. Uh, support for local news because it's seen as essential. So I think that there, there are, I mean, the, the best thing is that this is a conversation that we're finally having. Right.
1: Right. Um, right.
0: And, you know, I, it, I think it's tricky uh, to say the least with the current uh, political climate uh, to get this done, but it's also an issue that is completely bipartisan because, hmm. you know, the, the Senator John Bozeman in Arkansas, my, my old state knows um that uh, the Arkansas Democrat Gazette and uh, uh, um, the Pine Bluff paper and the Fort Smith paper and the Helena paper <laughs> all need um, need support uh, if, they're, if they're going to continue. And he was actually a, a co-sponsor for 3718. So I, I'm, I'm open to these ideas. I think that kind of gets back to the replanting, right? So what can we do to get rid of hedge funds? What can we do to support either through grants or some kind of system that wouldn't show favoritism, um, but that would actually be based on like population where people actually live. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there are
1: doable solutions out there and it's, it's something we have to do uh, because our democracy depends on it. Our democracy depends on it. And I think I just heard you say that a media-related issue supported by a labor union is actually bipartisan with conservative Republicans in agreement. wow. That's, that is not something we see every day around here. Um,
0: and <laughs> you tell me, I, 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 try to, I try not to play favorites. I just, I just wanna get, keep our people employed because the whole country depends on it.
1: That's right. And you're uh, doing a great job, John. You know, like, I just wanna close by saying that uh, you took a lot of risks in your new leadership role, uh, uh, getting into these policy and political waters. Historically, your guild, the News Guild has stayed out of public policy for the reasons you described earlier, that the journalists didn't want to take sides on policy issues. They wanted to be the fourth estate and and just report on what was going on. So you took a lot of risks doing this, but in a, in a good way, you're, you're trying to defend your members and defend journalism. Have you gotten support from your members for this? Are the members with you? They are. Um...
0: It's actually been, you know, to, to varying degrees, you know, we, we represent folks who are at the press conferences in the White House at the, at the Rose Garden. You know, those people are not going to be directly involved in <laughs> advocating uh, uh, for uh, their own survival. Um, right. But, you know, we've had members on calls uh, with senators or Senate staff. Um, you know, we've had members uh, do things that I don't think they would have done or they're actually reaching out directly to their um, their representatives on the issues that we're talking about, because a lot of people, you know, when the polling a recent poll showed that a lot of people think that everything's hunky-dory with local news, that, uh, that there aren't any issues. Um, most people don't realize that it's actually being destroyed and crippled by, um, by hedge funds and private equity and consolidation. Hmm. Uh, and that's been exasperated during the pandemic. So uh, yeah, they have jumped in and it's been great to have them in and we've got, <laughs> we've got them active in these new ways, but it's all been, you know, it's been a, it's been a learning curve for all of us.
1: John Schlois, president of the News Guild. Thank you for joining the Good Friend Group podcast. And thank you. We're very proud to have you as a client. Uh, Let's fight the good fight together. Let's win. Happy Labor Day.
0: Happy Labor Day back to you, David. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to the Good Friend Group podcast. I want to wish all of you a very happy Labor Day. But I also wanna thank our nurses, doctors, journalists, firefighters, and other frontline workers who may not get Labor Day off, but this day is really in their honor. They work tirelessly to fight for us. I hope all of you have time for a good barbecue real soon. Thanks. You've been listening to the Good Friend Group Podcast. Special thanks to my colleagues, Brian Hess and Megan Sun. Please subscribe to the Good Friend Group podcast and share with family and friends. I'm David Goodfriend. See you next time. Thanks.